friends and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Acts and the works of Jesus through his church and in his kingdom. I'm Vanessa Hawkins and joining Amber and me today are Kay Harris and Tori Acock. Welcome, ladies. Hey, thanks for having us. here. So now I hear you two ladies have a special friendship born out of a shared ministry. Can you tell us a little about that? We do. Um, I don't remember what the event was, but I remember being in line beside Lane Hutchison. And in about what feels like a few seconds, she recruited me to help with this Bible study. And I had no idea what I was doing. I did not even really understand what the CNL program was all about. I almost quit and then made it to the summer. We started in the fall, and uh, we had one sweet student that was coming with three leaders, and it was not Tori. And um, she started coming maybe in that summer, and then when she graduated, I begged her to stay and help. She That's didn't how have I to remember beg. it. I, I stayed on my own, of course. She stayed. <laughs> So seven years later, here we are. We've been through weddings and babies and all sorts of things. That is so cool. Ladies, I'm going to have you to tell us a little bit more about yourselves. And we're going to start with our first things first question. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of something you enjoy from a culture that is not your own? So as you answer the first things first question, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Okay, I'll go first. Uh, I'm Tori Acock, wife to Doug Acock, who is a deacon here. I have two little ones, Graham and Brooke. Uh, Brooke is almost three. Graham is almost one. So uh, definitely in the little years (laughs) stage in our house, sleep is hard to come by. And um, so, yeah, and I sing here at First Pres occasionally. Uh, you may or may not recognize my voice because I'm not currently singing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I am a nurse on the occasion that I get to go to work. So that's what I do in my off time is work. So, um, and I guess, let's see, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Um, so, <laughs> I'll be honest, it was food. And <laughs> one of my favorite restaurants here is, hopefully I don't butcher the name, is Sawadi. Uh, it is a Thai restaurant. And um, the beloved Caitlin McNair introduced me to this restaurant when I moved to Augusta. And, oh man, this is where I go on my birthday. It's so, it's so good. I love it. Um, and then also, because I'm in the little kid era I also thought of Brooke's three favorite movies right now are Raya and the Last Dragon which is a uh, Asian culture and then Moana which is Polynesian and then um, Encanto is a new Disney movie and it's Hispanic culture and all of the music I'm all about I love and she loves it we dance and we sing and yeah so those, that's immediately what came to mind when I thought of different cultures. So, so. fun that it would be music. Yeah. <laughs> Go so figure. Yeah. Well, I am Kay Harris, and I am also a nurse, I'm currently working as a hospice nurse with adults and children. My, I am wife to Mike, and we have three adult sons. 
um, spread all over. One is in Sweden, one is in Knoxville, Tennessee, and one is in Jacksonville, Florida. And I feel like my only real hobby at this stage in life is photography. I do love sewing, but I just don't get to do it very much. Um, This is kind of a fun question. The first things first, I grew up in a home where there were no repeat trips, no annual trip trip to the beach, uh, nothing ever the same, because my dad really wanted to show us different things in the world, and he loved people, he loved animals, um, so he taught me to always take the back roads, get off the highway, mm. look for the local restaurants, and to meet the people. So Mike joyfully accepted that about me, and when we went on our honeymoon, it was a driving tour of the Northeast in November. Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And everywhere we went, people were like, this was your first plan? And he was like, it was her first plan. So what I look for is food also, but... um, I always look for the local bakery. I love to find the bakery wherever I am and try their whatever they recommend. And then I love watching the people sort of in their just daily living and taking photographs of that. And then when I pull those photographs up and see the faces in their eyes, I love that. I love that. I I do like that type of people watching when I'm visiting other places. You learn so much about a culture Mm -hmm. just watching the people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think one of the cultures that I was just so fascinated by, um, I went on a went to it's been many years ago now, but I went to Zambia, which is a a nation in Africa. And this is a very poor um, country. But the question that kept coming to my mind and just watching the people there was because because it was so impoverished, it was people making bricks by hand and that type of thing. Their attention to relationships was remarkable. Mm-hmm. So I remember being on a safari and the, the two gentlemen driving, there was a, well, driving different Jeeps, but it's like they would never pass people and not stop. And it just was completely countercultural to anything that we would experience in the States. So they would pass by each other. They wouldn't just pass each other. If they came up on another person, they would stop, like literally turn off their engine and stop and have a conversation with, you know, all these Americans in the, <laughs> in the truck waiting, going, huh, this is really different. But they just valued people and community and relationships so much that they wouldn't just pass someone and not have a conversation about how they were doing. And I just I was fascinated by that. And so my question constantly um, there was, what really is abundant living? If, if they came to the States, how impoverished would they say we are, mm, yeah. you know, in our yeah. relationships and how we see people? Yeah, that's fascinating. It's hard for us to comprehend. Well, what came to my mind was a little bit of your story in that we make, the, or I make this soup that my boys call Thai soup. Two of them really like it. And it is from Thailand, and I think it's called Tom Ka, or I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that. But a friend of mine was a missionary in Thailand, and she came back making this soup. And it comes, it's a paste, but it's got, it has lemongrass and all sorts of different oriental herbs. And it's made in this paste, and you combine it with coconut milk and oh. chicken and mushrooms, and you put it over sticky rice, which I love. It's super simple to make. 
And then the other thing that came to my mind that I enjoyed, have enjoyed recently in the last couple of weeks is just worship here at First Prez with mm-hmm. some brothers and sisters who have come from different worship backgrounds who are a little bit more comfortable with their forms of expression than we are. So what I love about First Prez is we're committed to worship that's centered around how God reveals himself, who he reveals himself to be in the Bible. And I think we have beautiful and deep worship. But I've loved people coming in who can express, say an amen, uh, move to a joyful song, do some of those things like that that have really, in my mind, um, brought even more depth to mm-hmm. our worship. And so I've, I've appreciated that. I think that's been something that I've been grateful for in the last little bit of time. And, you know, sometimes in our world, it's hard to appreciate other cultures. You know, someone's driving down the street, they stop, they get out, they turn off their engine, they go say hey to somebody. Well, we would probably be very much offended here because we have some place to go. And it's hard for us to see maybe the value in something another culture offers. We see that in our cultures, in our worldly cultures. But then we, it's also true that within our church community and our church cultures, we, as much as we want to embrace one another, at times we struggle. And so what I really appreciated about the passage that we're going to look at today is that it's two different men coming from two different cultures, but they're brought together by the Lord himself in order to experience his salvation in a way that neither one could fully appreciate without the other. Last week, we talked with Ellen and Allie about the joy of what to us may be surprising conversions. We focused in on Saul who the Lord chose to be his instrument to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Now today, we see the Apostle Peter charged with a similar task as the Lord sends him to a man named Cornelius. The account that we're talking about today um, can be found in Acts chapters 10 and 11. Our focus will be Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 24, and carrying through chapter 11, verse 18. And if you haven't already read this passage, really encourage you to pause Read it, take the time to get it in your mind and heart, and then come back to hear what we have to say about it. Vanessa, as you read this passage, what stuck out to you about how what happened in this passage between Peter and Cornelius informs how we as the church today still need to grow in our ability to bring cultures together underneath the gospel? Yeah, I'm struck by this passage just by how much scripture gives such dignity to cultural difference Mm. and how it's not a tolerating of it. It is, it's a a celebrating of it. And it it just becomes clear that the spirit is this unifying force across culture. We hear this refrain several times in the passage, they being the Gentiles receive the Holy spirit, just like we have, Mm. you know, and they're amazed. There's this amazement that the spirit uh, didn't show any partiality between people groups, but poured himself out on the Jews as well as the Gentiles alike. And so Peter's vision clearly establishes for us this unity across ethnic difference as a gospel priority. Mm-hmm. And there is continuity for this gospel priority throughout scripture, not just here. And so we see this as a gospel priority before the foundation of the world in Ephesians 1, with the father tearing down the dividing wall of hostility of all people groups in Christ, creating for himself one new humanity. It's the priority of the son as he prayed the high priestly prayer of John 17 before his crucifixion, that they may be one as we are one. It's the priority at Pentecost. We just studied that in Acts 2. Devout men from every nation heard the gospel in their own native tongue. That's stress and that's core to this gospel. 
And so it remains priority into all eternity. Revelation 7, we talk about all the time that every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping the, the Lamb of God. I and mean, what a beautiful picture of this inclusion and this diversity. So I say all of this just to say that bringing cultures together and reflecting this kind of radical unity across cultural difference isn't just a noble idea and it's not a, an issue that's tangential to the gospel, but it lies right at the core of, of gospel priority, demonstrated not just in Acts, but in the whole of Scripture. The Spirit reconciling all nations, tribes, people groups to himself, not in the by and by, but at the inception of the church. And that power is at work in the church now. And so the spirit remains this unifying power to unite people groups across difference. The Lord has not changed his mind about reconciling all people as being part and parcel to the gospel. Hmm. Now, I do think that as imperfect people, we tend to normalize our own cultures and, and think that our own identities and contexts, our own cultural practices, our traditions are the quote unquote right way to do things. It's just, it's human nature. We just do that. And we apply moral judgment often to cultural differences, giving aspects of culture the moral value of right or wrong, when really it's just neither, it's just different. There are different preferences. And so often our cultural differences are only wrong to the extent that we've elevated our own preferences to an unhealthy place of being a righteous standard that scripture hasn't prescribed. And so instead we see scripture embracing and celebrating the beauty of cultural difference, not tolerating it. So I'm going to ask you ladies to put yourselves on both sides of a particular situation. So now generically, if you would describe a situation in which you felt that someone was better than you and then describe a time when the tables were turned and you thought maybe of yourself as being better than someone else coming right out the, out the bat. I think I really didn't want to answer this cause I don't want to think about. Yeah. This. It's um, hard. It is hard. hard. Yeah. It's hard. But I did think of a situation when I was a very young bride, maybe a young mom. I, I really don't remember all the details, but we were part of a supper club. And we arrived at a beautiful home with a beautifully set table. Uh, it, it was all just lovely. But at some point during the dinner, there was much conversation about the proper way to have a dinner party, the proper way mm. to set a table, the mm -hmm. proper way, the proper way. And these people had no idea that I grew up in a very simple home. Mm. Uh, my mom was orphaned at age three, um, basically survived until she married my dad at 17. And, and, I grew up in a lovely home, but that was not part of it, yeah. learning those things. And so I had nothing to contribute to the conversation. Mm. And what I remember is suddenly you, I felt less, not really not because of anything they consciously did, but it did say to me, we need to be conscious of and aware mm -hmm. of, uh, our audience mm. and um, there was some standard that you couldn't meet that I couldn't meet. Yeah. And so again, I don't, they were not judging me, but I internalized those words yeah. to feel less than. So then of course I 
uh, determined never to do that. And then I, uh, I feel like the Lord used a silly little thing to just remind me how easily we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or how easily I do it in my heart and mind, even if I know better than to show it. So I was sitting in the, this was back when reusable grocery bags started to be the thing. And I jumped right on board with that to be responsible. And I was sitting in the public's parking lot getting my bags together because I usually have to hang them around my neck to actually remember to take them (laughs) in. And I just remember seeing a woman come out of the grocery store with her plastic bags, not reusable bags. And I I just had that moment, like I don't even think it formulated in my brain and the Holy Spirit so convicted me that I was about to judge somebody because Mm -hmm. they were using plastic instead of reusable. And I got to tell you, every time I either forget my bags or remember my bags, it, it is a reminder of how easy it is it's to so do that easy. It's so yes easy. Yeah. yes mm-hmm. so those are two um, there are way more areas that I know that I judge I'm not sure how generic it might be so <laughs> we'll stay with the public's grocery <laughs> bag well and to point those out they're small little examples but what I love what you're saying is it comes out in the smallest ways and if you yes. can if you can see those small ways then you're more likely to see the larger ways. And I just remember that feeling of like, oh, my goodness. Like, I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And so just to be in tune to that slap when you get it of not judging. To expose those heart attitudes, even on the grocery bags. I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. I probably was the one coming out with the bags. (laughs) (laughs) Tori. Because my reusable ones are, they just stay in the closet at my house. Mine are usually hanging on the doorknob somewhere. Under the trunk. It's bad. Yes. Which is so funny that you have focused on something totally different than what we are so good together because we're (laughs) opposites in a lot of ways. I feel like. My focus in this question, I was thinking more about when I first became a nurse, just how uh, in nursing, if you are a nurse, you'll relate to this. It's almost like this. What is it? Dog eat dog. Is that the phrase? I don't even know. But where when you first become a nurse and you don't know things, uh, you need to ask. But there's almost this timidity to ask because some people will grill you for it and make you feel dumb and like you shouldn't be a nurse because you don't know all these things. And so there were several instances that I probably could bring up uh, my at least my first couple years of being a nurse where, yeah, you just feel so small. Mm. Um, and then, you know, on the flip side, after you get a few years under your belt, um, just being very mindful, especially, uh, you know, as a a CNL student or graduate now, um, I often would get asked to take CNL students and train them up to be wonderful nurses. (laughs) Um, And so there's always, or there always was this tendency to get aggravated. I think that's something that uh, a trait that I've noticed um, for those that are seemingly above others is that you easily get aggravated with those that are below air quote below uh 
below you or not as smart as you or whatever. Um, or you also, you, you try to find the things that are wrong with them Mm. almost to sort of like pin down. Oh yeah, I am better than them Mm -hmm. because they did this, this, and this, which is so not, so not Christ-like. I feel like, uh, very similarly, uh, I had a CNL student and I just remember after one long, long day at the hospital, I got home and I was just talking to Doug about it. And I don't even think that Doug particularly said anything that convicted me. It really was the Holy Spirit just saying, well, Tori, like, what if you had remembered what it was like to be a student? Do you Mm. think that you would have treated them like this? Um, And so I feel like now I get a taste of that every day because I have a three-year-old that very much tests all the boundaries that there are in my house. And I feel like I have to pray every day for the Holy Spirit to remind me that that Christ's love is beyond my aggravations and my seemingly beneath me tasks. Mm. So Mm. that's so good. Well, I resonate with all of those um, responses, thoughts, conviction of the spirit, just how I'm always amazed how I can go from, oh man, I feel so insecure to, oh, I feel so proud, you know, and you just swing right in between the two and how you view people swings along with you. And I've been around people before that I was thinking, how do I feel like I know people think they're better than me? And, you know, sometimes maybe it's my own misperception, but sometimes it is true that people, they just, they don't really think that you're worth getting to know. I think that's a big indicator. Mm -hmm. They're just caught up in their own world. They're doing their own thing. They're doing the thing they've always done that they think is important. If you don't happen to share that interest or fit into that world or know how to set a proper table, then they don't think that you have something to offer. Sometimes they just don't even think to ask because what they know is so important to them. And so, I mean, in those times, you know, I've felt insecure. I felt embarrassed. I felt indignant. Mm. Then I feel judgmental towards them. Mm. Um, but then at times, maybe sometimes just sad, you know, just to think, man, that's just really missing out. Not on necessarily me. Hey, you're missing out on me. I don't necessarily mean that. But just the inability to see past a smaller world does mean that we're missing out. And I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing. And I thought, you know, I, I can tell that I may not be valuing someone the way that they're worth valuing when I'm easily distracted. They're talking to me. I'm sort of scanning the room thinking, who am I talking to next? What do I need to do next? Um, Maybe what they have to say isn't as as important to me as I think that it should be. I just am not focused. I'm not Mm -hmm. learning about them. I'm just sort of there. And so I see those things come up in me as well. And, and I think, you know, we all should be able to recognize in ourselves and by the Holy Spirit's help and prompting, which is sweet to hear that that's what he does in our lives. Um, but we recognize the ugliness of our cultural bias. It comes out of us and others legitimately use it against us. And we want to be motivated to change. Um, but the important question is, where does that motivation come from? And possibly what I love most about our passage this week is the clear evidence that the most powerful, effective, and beneficial motivation for cultural unity doesn't come from within ourselves, and it doesn't come from the trends around us, but it comes from the living God himself. Mm -hmm. Like Vanessa said, it is his gospel priority. It's his idea 
not ours. And when we have opportunities to grow in our understanding and appreciation of one another, we have to see them as God-ordained opportunities, not as inconveniences or even opportunities to toot our own diversity-loving um, horn. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. But we've got to see them as opportunities to trust, to obey, and to worship the God of Christian unity. After y'all read these verses in Acts 10, and you saw the personal and humble ways that Peter connected with Cornelius. Again, these are two men from very different cultures. Cornelius would have been uh, more of the elite, cultured, um, educated. Peter's coming from a Jewish sect that wouldn't have been highly regarded by the Romans, although we know it's highly regarded by Cornelius. But even within um, the Jewish culture, he's considered to be strange, odd man out, having ideas that nobody really knows what they are and nobody really accepts. And so Peter's sort of an outcast of types. Cornelius is right in the inner circle of all that is powerful and wealthy and things like that. And here are these two, and then, but Cornelius is a Gentile, and Peter comes from a tradition where they're not allowed to associate, go into homes of Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so very much two different cultures coming together. As you saw how Peter related to Cornelius, how are you motivated to relate to your own family, neighbors, friends, those who are very different from you? I think it is interesting. You have Cornelius, the elite, and then you have Peter, uh, who, you know, probably did not have a lot of means Uh, so his clothing wasn't the best. Um, yet when you look at both of these men, you know, one of the questions from this week was asking us, what did both men have to lose by associating with one another? And I feel like both men did have something to lose. They could have been prideful about the things that they had, but even just as you were speaking, it reminded me their motivation was the gospel. Uh, Cornelius wanted to learn. He wanted to know more about this God that he had been faithful uh, to follow. And Peter being called and then given the dream um, that all things that God had made are are good. So associating with Gentiles wasn't going to be uh, a hiccup for him. And I think this might have been brought out in the commentary, but just that this reality that before God, before a perfect and holy God, we are all, we're all nothing. We have nothing to bring. And so I think, you know, when you look at Peter and Cornelius and them just humbling themselves before each other, um, that's definitely, I think the question even says, how are you motivated? And I'll be honest, uh, part of me is, Yes, motivated, but maybe scared at the same time because uh, it does mean getting over some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for Cornelius, it could have been um, sitting with a man that didn't smell very good. Like, I don't want to do that. Um, but at the same time, I think being motivated that because of their interaction, we get to see the Holy Spirit descend upon the Gentiles. And it's very clear that Peter cannot deny, like, God is for everybody, and I saw it happen. So then he becomes the messenger to tell the Jews this is real, like God is for everybody. It's not just for us. I think before this um, study, if 
you had asked me to pick a favorite story from Acts, this would, I don't think this would have been anywhere near the top. But now that we've gone deeper into thinking about Peter and Cornelius, I love this story. And I love this scene where when Peter comes in uh, and Cornelius kneels, that Peter lifts him up. Mm. Um, that, it, and it and it feels like it's this beautiful picture of what we have already been seeing in Acts. That he's both speaking the gospel, but he's living the gospel first um, by saying to Cornelius, "Stand up." Um, and I loved just the first part of the question you guys gave us with your own unbelieving family and neighbors, and everybody fits into one of those categories, and. I felt like the Lord gave me just a sweet little uh, example. Tori drafted me into coming down to Lily Mom's. So on Tuesday when I was here, um, two hours with two and three-year-olds, is a, it's, a, it's a lot of time to fill um, productively. And so we don't do two hours of productive, but they, um, they were sitting at the table having their little animal crackers and Normally, we would, like, move from that and go sit, and I would sit in front of them and tell them the Bible story. Um, But that day, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to sit with them at the table. So I pulled up my little chair and sat as they had their animal crackers, and I just talked to them about this story. And we talked about what a miracle is. And later that day, one of the moms texted me and said, did you talk about miracles today? <laughs> and, and I just thought, isn't it true that whenever we meet people where they are or bring or lift them up, that God opens those doors and hearts? And so I just, I love, I love this story. I love it. And it challenges me. Um, and in a lot of ways, it challenges me. But I think when I consider that this is Peter, and I think about who Peter is and who he has been. And I think about this is the one who denied the Lord and who's been restored. And yet he stood and preached and 3,000 people came to Christ and the church is growing like crazy. At this juncture, he is found you know, to be a racist, essentially. But yet 3,000 people came to Christ while he preached. And so, you know, and so when we have our pet sins or the things that we think that are a worse sin than another, um, just, con- well, so when I consider just the, just the progressive nature of our sanctification and how the Lord doesn't wait for us to, to look exactly like Christ before he uses us with power. And so I think that that helps me in my perspective when I'm talking to people who don't have it together, like I don't have it together mm-hmm. and in varying degrees, you know, um, and so what I would put a label on and say that that person's unreachable. Wow. Peter preached as a, as a, a person with bigotry, and, and 3,000 people came to Christ. And so that's, that's amazing to me. That gives me hope. Peter always gives me hope. But also, it, then it challenges me with my perspective that on the best day that I see imperfectly. Mm. Um, you know, and Scripture says in a mirror dimly, you know. Um, and so when I remember that I operate in humility, 
uh, and I'm a lot slower to be certain about who people are. I'm uh, certain about a matter. I'm just more apt to be to remain curious, to ask questions um, before giving conclusions and judgments um, to a, bringing that to a conversation. So. Uh, I think it makes me more dependent on the Spirit's help when I remember that my res- my perspective is only a perspective. It's not the perspective. I don't see perfectly. And so um, I think that's how Peter challenges me. Um, but this vision that the Lord gave Peter shifted his perspective entirely, and it just changed how he saw. So now I, I will ask, after reading about the ways Peter presented the gospel to Cornelius and seeing Cornelius' response, how are you newly motivated then to offer the gospel to someone that God may lead you to? I think um, even picking up on what you just said, that vision, um, I had the thought that I'm sure there were conversations going on prior to that about circumcised and uncircumcised and just um, how we how they would relate to each other. Um, and what really struck me, and encouraged me as I think about reaching unbelieving family members or friends with the gospel is that they both were listening to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It was the Holy Spirit talking to both the speaker and the listener. And I think so often I want to go ahead of, I want to come up with the, what I'm going to say before the Holy Spirit says go. And so that was very convicting to me Mm -hmm. in this story. And then one of the things I have loved about getting to know Tori over these seven years and watching her with the girls, I feel like I often hide behind my shyness, my husband would say, I'm painfully shy. Mm. Um, And I've loved watching Tori's passion for sharing the gospel very boldly uh, with our girls and um, and so I have thought through how I sort of hide behind that uh, and so I love Peter's confidence in what he was there to share and I thought so in my I'm very familiar and confident in the dying process and taking people through that and being gentle about it and meeting them where they are. And I can do that without almost a second nature, like it's part of me. And so I, I think to have that, uh, to know the good news and, and for it to be a, so much a part of you that, it is just part of your conversation. Acts 189 talks about giving power for witness. Mm-hmm. And so we clearly see the, the power of the Spirit um, at work in imperfect Peter. And he was even confident in saying to Cornelius, um, basically, I've been prejudiced and yeah. a, a racist until yeah. the Lord showed me in mm. this dream. And I love, I mean, I've. I don't, I think I would want to pretend that I wasn't. And oh, I just happened to listen to the Lord telling me to come, but that's bold and right. Yeah, he walks out this repentance, doesn't he? It's amazing. And he doesn't really just speak for himself, but uh, he's speaking for 
all of his people in a sense. Yes. Like we have we, thought, you yeah. know it well that Jews don't associate with Gentiles, but the Lord has told me, you know, yeah. just as a represent yeah. representative. And then he had to defend it. It's powerful to think that as influential as he has become now, because he's preached the gospel to this many people, that he's using that influence for this conversation because he has a gospel call to this. It's, mm-hmm. it's just powerful mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, challenged by this passage. I think um, as bold as I can be in Bible study, um, there is the sense to which when you're in Bible study, people are gathered around because we're there to talk about the gospel. So uh, it is easy for me to say, okay, well, this is the gospel just so we're all on the same page. But I definitely see that in life outside of Bible study in the church, it can be really challenging to uh, share the gospel. Cause I think one thing that motivates me from this passage is just that Peter doesn't make the gospel anything more than it is. Mm-hmm. He, he just lays it out there. And I think I often try to like, just bring too much, like, uh, let me, uh, gauge the temperature of the room and like all of these things that I think that I have to be, I, I have to say the right words. Um, and it makes me think about uh, when I was in campus outreach in college, we would have the summer beach project. And one of the things that we would do is, or they would tell you to do, and it's totally terrifying is that you go out on the beach and share the gospel with a perfect stranger. Yeah. It, it makes your heart a little um, jumpy. That's not the right medical term, but whatever. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like the first time I ever shared the gospel with someone I didn't know, I thought I butchered it. I was like, man, I don't even know if they know <laughs> like the basic concept. And the response of the girl I was sharing it with was just so like she had heard a perfect sermon that is that is the response that I got. And I was like, were you listening to me? And so I think, you know, it's just this motivating, uh, you know, even though Peter was um, an apostle and he he had all this knowledge, it still is the Holy Spirit that mm. goes before. Yes. It's the Holy Spirit that preps and works in hearts. All we have to do is be faithful to share. Peter reminds us in this passage today that God generously pours out that spirit that you're talking about on all people groups without partiality, without bias. And in a cultural climate that can be filled with strife and bias, it's a comfort to know that that same Holy Spirit that transcended all of the categories and united a diverse early church is the same unifying spirit that is alive in the church today. He hasn't changed his mind about our unity over every category that would divide us. And he hasn't lost one drop of his power to accomplish it. Mm. Amen and praise him for that. Amen. Kay and Tori, thank you all for joining us today. Really enjoyed sitting around the table with you and hearing your winsome wisdom. That's how you come across to me. Yes. Listeners, if you want to see the pretty faces of our guests today, you can check them out at our Women's Bible Study Facebook page. Women's Bible Study FPCA, or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. We'd love for you to join us again next week. You can take us to pick up your groceries, or you can let us help you unload them. <laughs> Nan Boudreaux and Emily Aceves will be sitting with us to talk about what you may find to be the surprising central message of the gospel. We hope you'll listen in. 
Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while she sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain.